Second readings from 1 Timothy, chapter 6, starting at verse 11. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses in the sight of God, who gives life to everything and of Jesus Christ, who, while testifying before Pontius Pilate, made the good confession, I charge you to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ, which God will bring about in his own time. God, the blessed and only ruler, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see, to him be honour and might forever. Amen. Timothy, guard what you have been entrusted to your care. Take away from godless chatter and the opposing ideas of what is falsely called knowledge, which some have professed and in doing so have departed from the face. Faith, God be with all. Who's been watching the news the last few days? Main item is the fires, isn't it? And if you've ever been in a bushfire, you know it's a horrible experience. Um, you have all this smoke coming towards you and you can't actually see where the fire is. And you have all these hot embers coming towards you and you're not sure how far away. Uh, Trudy and I, uh, many years ago, um, we were living on a farm out of Mossvale and a raging bushfire started. And it was kilometres away, but it was driven by really fierce hot winds. Uh, the winds were going so fast that the, the trucks couldn't outrun the fire. It was going that quick. It was horrible. Uh, people died. Uh, fire engines were burned. It was out of control. And uh, it was heading our way. And we had to make a decision. What do you do? And uh, so there was a farmer. We're on a farm, and there's a farm there. And he said, look, we'll plough the field. We'll do this. We'll do this. We can protect the buildings. Um, and Trudy took things and left because you had to work out what was valuable and go. And we had a uh, plan. One was to, to go, one was to stay and fight. That fight or flight response. And people have to make that decision. Uh, you can't just sit there and twiddle your thumbs and say, oh, it won't come our way, we won't worry, yeah, we'll be right. You get caught out, you'll be in trouble. It may not come. It didn't, in fact, come our way. It kept zigzagging for a whole week. Oh, week we had this threat of fire zigzagging valleys down behind us. The army came out. It was a huge operation. Um, but you have to do something. You can't ignore it. It's dangerous. It's life-threatening. And we're looking today at that. We're looking at the idea of taking flight, fleeing something, or actually fighting it, standing firm and resisting something, because that's what Paul's telling Timothy about. And sometimes that comes down, in this case, in, in Timothy, it's dealing with difficult people. People who have really strong views, one-sided conversations where you can't get a word in. And what do you do? Do you just sit there and get mangled by the words? Or do you walk away and say, look, okay, I don't, don't agree with you and just walk off? Or do you try and contend with them? And the hard part is if there's other people listening and if you don't say you walk away, well, other people think that you're agreeing with them. So how do you deal with that? That's going to be looking at that today. It's something that can affect all of us. 
not so much the fire, but dealing with difficult people and their strong viewpoints. It's something that's affecting our church, the Anglican Church of Australia, right now. Let's have a look at it. Verse 11 of chapter 6. He says to them, But you, man of God, flee from this. Timothy is described as a man of God. He's different to the men of the world. They're the false teachers. Uh, they're uh, proud and conceited and quarrelsome. They're causing lots of trouble. And Timothy is different because he's a man of God. It underscores his integrity, his responsibility as a person who is a man of God. He's got to be radically different from the others. He's got to stand firm against the ungodliness that these false teachers are proclaiming in their teaching. Stand firm. Flee from this. Flee. Run away. Recognise the danger. Have nothing to do with them. Uh, don't give them any credit by even arguing with them. They just want to start a quarrel. Don't Just ignore them. Have nothing to do with them. There are people in chapter 6, verse 10, who are eager for money. And they're using their position of teaching to get money. They've wandered away from the faith. They've been deceived and taken away. Lost and separated from faith. It says back in chapter 1, verse 19, they've shipwrecked their faith. They've made deliberate decisions and they've caused a disaster and wrecked their own faith in Christ. So flee from them. Get some distance from them. And then Paul uses some really active and forceful verbs for Timothy to respond. He says, Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. Pursue righteousness. That's justice. That's fair dealing with people. You know, be careful how you respond to people. Godliness. Be focused on God. Don't worship wealth. Don't look after and look for personal gain. Be a person who loves God and serves Him. Faith, integrity, faithfulness, responsibility. He then mentions love and love as sacrifice and service, giving to people, not wanting to take. Endurance, patience in difficult circumstances, and finally gentleness. Gentleness with people. And this does stand out as a bit unusual, doesn't it? If someone's going to behave like this, uh, they're going to have a, uh, an impact on the people they're dealing with, even the difficult people. And in fact, they're going to stand out so different from the false teachers who are all focused on themselves and causing trouble, a person who behaves like this will definitely stand out different. And that's what Timothy's to do. You see, some people think of Christianity as sort of a, a passive faith that's just waiting for God to act. In a continually hostile world, a world that challenges us with things that suddenly happen, a way the world's declining in morals and, and a whole lot of things, we need to have an active faith. We need to take actions, time for action to get going, to obey God to deny ourselves and follow Christ, to say no to ungodliness and yes to godliness and have self-control. It's like taking off old clothes and putting on new. Hopefully you recognise you do that. And that's what we're to recognise the same. We've, we've taken off the old way of living and now we have a change and we're to live out this change in Jesus Christ and we call it our motto, living lives for Jesus. We're to recognise we belong to Jesus and live our lives for him. And so Timothy's been told to flee and pursue these things. 
And there's that flight response that wants to get away and do something different. Now there's the fight response. He's told in verse 12 to fight the good fight of faith. To fight with faith and a good conscience. It's not just going in and fighting and, and just doing what you want to win. It's not win at all costs. It must have a good conscience. And it's urgent to fight this faith for Timothy because he's defending the truth. The truth that's found in Jesus. And it's a good fight for that reason. It's not a fight over something for yourself or something that you like. It's a fight over what's true and right. And if he doesn't fight this, people are going to be led away. They're going to follow the teaching of the, the false teachers and they're going to be led into shipwrecking their faith and ruin of life and great trouble. And so Timothy needs to protect them. He needs to fight. And he needs to prepare with a careful approach because you don't just come and think, I'm going to fight these guys, I'm going to fight this teaching. That's to do in your own strength. Suddenly you've got to, no, I'm going to pray, I'm going to ask God to help me. I'm going to ask God, firstly, is this the right thing to do? And I'm going to ask him to help me. And then I'm going to look at the scriptures because that's where the truth comes from. And how am I to do this? How can I point people to what it says? And I'm going to continue to rely on God every step of the way. Not doing it in my own strength, but in the strength of Christ alone. I'm going to be praying. And having those qualities of verse 11 as you fight that good fight. Righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance and gentleness. We're not going to take on the way of fighting of the false teachers that's ugly and focused on self. No, we're going to do it the way that follows Jesus and glorifies him. But we need to fight the good fight of faith against the false teaching that's around. And anyway, if you ever know about a fight, it's strenuous. I mean, sadly, as a policeman, I involved a couple of fights. And thankfully, I, was, I kept myself super fit. My aim was that I would fitter than anyone else. And so if I was involved in a fight, I could just wear them down. Wrestling match, usually. And that's how it worked. But it's strenuous. And I had to prepare myself. You, know, you have three-minute boxing rounds. I'd do three of those back-to-back to, back to keep really fit because if I was going to be in a tussle, then I wanted to be super fit. I would run uh, five kilometres at almost Olympic standard, just actually just below the Olympic standard. I was super fit for that reason. So that if I was involved in a tussle, I was fitter than whoever I was up against. And it worked. So what about us as Christians? I don't feel very prepared to take on some of the things out there. But we can't just let it go. We can't ignore it. And so it's important as Christians not to do physical training, to do spiritual training, to make sure that our relationship with God is strong and robust and deep. Be people who, who continually remember how we're saved in Jesus Christ, you know, the amazing love of God. And to rely on that, to be people who pray and just open our hearts and our lives in prayer to God in talking to him. People who have God of the word of the Bible, just drawing from that, you know, understanding growth. People are joined to others, not doing it by ourselves, but with others. You see, the truth that we're protecting comes from God. It's found in Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth and life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And truth is precious to God. 
And we can't be people who just ignore that it's threatened. We can't neglect to protect it. Because in protecting the truth, we're protecting God from being offended. Because God will be offended if we just turn a blind eye and say it doesn't matter because it matters to God. It should matter to us. Big problem that we face is that growing um, thing called postmodernism. I mean, I don't. What's postmodernism? It's a fancy name, but it's very common. It's that idea that, that the truth is relative to you and no one can tell you what's true and not true because um, you can perceive your own truth and that's your truth and everyone's got to tolerate that you've got this truth. And the more you understand postmodernism, the more you see it everywhere. And you see it, um, in, even we saw it in Synod, people with you know, views about um, not, not accepting the Bible as such a, as strongly as it is, but actually taking a bit out here and applying it to what they wanted to say and therefore uh, agreeing with um, gay marriage. And that's what happens when you have this postmodernism thinking because it liberates your own ability to make decisions about what's true and what's not true. And behind all that is that self-centeredness of sin. And it loves it. It feels like it's substantiated that you know, I can know what's true and, and I can see what the Bible's saying is right and no one can tell me otherwise and I won't even listen if they can show me any other parts of the Bible which refutes what I say because I've got the truth. It's a, it's a funny sort of way of doing things. It actually narrows down, it takes things out of context, focuses on that, ignores the rest of the Bible, refuses to listen to understanding and reason. But it's in society, it's in the church. And we've got to be careful it doesn't become part of our thinking too. Now the Diocese of Wangaratta is not nearby, is it? It's another Victoria. It's a bit far away. But the Diocese of Wangaratta is creating a problem for you and me right now. The Diocese of Wangaratta, the bishop there, he's got two gay priests who have been married civilly and he wants to bless their marriage. And he's going to retire and he's going to do it before he retires. He's supposed to be near the end of the year he retires, so it's really immediate. I was talking to a bishop friend another diocese. They're having a bishop's meeting uh, this month in Melbourne about this from all the bishops of Australia. It's an urgent problem. In fact, it's, it goes against three laws of the Anglican Diocese of, sorry, Anglican General Synod of Australia, which we're all part of, which controls everything in Australia, the Anglican Church. It goes against three laws or three rules of that di- of the General Synod to do this. But they're ignoring it. And if they go ahead, it's a problem because if they go ahead and it'll get a lot of publicity, what's it going to say? People at Richmond Anglican support that because they're part of the Anglican Church. That's what people are going to think. We know it's not true, but the society doesn't. So how do you deal with it? You can't just ignore it. You can't just, so I'll let them go and do their own thing because it's going to come back on us in some way. What do you do? It's the good fight because there is truth involved here. And so that's where our diocese, if you want to read about it, read the latest Southern Cross, it's all in there. Uh, our diocese is saying, no, it's wrong. Our diocese is, has objected to the general city. That's where this meeting's coming up very soon in Melbourne with bishops about it. But it's a real problem because if they go ahead and ignore it, then we've got to look at, well, okay, will the Anglican Diocese of Australia say, okay, you've got to leave? Probably not. Well, what do we do then? Do we stay a part of that? It raises all sorts of problems. And it's all about the truth. 
Is the truth worth putting your hand up, sticking your neck out, standing up for? Or would you just let the truth go? What does God think about it? God, God sent us Jesus Christ, his son. He loves us dearly. He wants us to respond to the truth that's in Jesus and the truth that's in the Bible. It's a good fight. It's a sort of fight that's got to happen. You don't pick a fight. No, we don't want to pick this fight. We don't want this fight. We'd rather it go away. But it's there. It's in the face of us. And as we are told to fight the good fight, and thankfully others are fighting this one for us, but it may happen to us that we have to fight that sort of fight. It says in verse 12, Fight the good fight of faith, take hold of eternal life to which you were called when you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. Eternal life, taking hold of eternal life. As we fight that good fight, we're not doing it from a worldly perspective. We're doing it as people who are part of God's family. People already have a place in heaven. We already have eternal life right now. Even though the body, the vessel we're in is not going to last, but we have eternal life inside us already. We're sealed up for eternal life. And we're people who, when we make these sort of decisions about what the fight's about and how we're going to fight the fight and if we're going to do it, we're remembering that we belong to the family of God. We're heading on a destination to be with God in eternity forever. It's something that we have at the present and we're called to live it out. It says that we were called here, that, that idea of an inward and private uh, calling of God and responding to that with a good confession, something outward and public. And that was done last week here as people were confirmed of actually making that confession, public confession. Romans chapter 10 verse 9 says, every follower of Jesus has got to make a public confession. You can't be a closet Christian. You can't be a secret Christian. You've got to stand up at times and so you are. And obviously Timothy already knows and has eternal life, so why does Paul say that to him? To take hold of it. Because sometimes you can possess something and you don't really embrace it, you don't really enjoy it. And Timothy's being told to seize it, to grasp it, to complete, compete it as his own, to enjoy, to live out that he does have eternal life right now. He's going to heaven. He's part of the family of God. The best in life is yet to come. It's sure and certain. I wonder whether we do that too. You know, sometimes when horrible things happen, it's just so easy to get focused on what's going on or what you hear if someone else is going on and fail to see we're on a journey. Yes, there's going to be these horrible things that happen, but in the end, the journey is going to arrive in heaven, that perfect place. And I'm going to have to deal with some horrible things along the way, but it's never going to take away from me that I belong to God and I'm going home. So to take flight and pursue certain things, to fight the good fight. And now he talks about grace be with you. And this is really a valuable part of this whole book. It's the end of the book. He says in verse 20, Guard what's been entrusted to your care. The word, the idea in the Greek language there for, for guarding what's entrusted to your care is like a deposit, like depositing something in a safe. 
you know, to protect it, to something valuable. And it's been kept safely for someone. And what it's talking about here is uh, not money, but it's talking about the faith. Guard that good deposit, that faith in Jesus, that, that knowledge about who Jesus is and what he's done and responding to Jesus. Guard that. And not just guard it, but preserve it and pass it on to others without any changes or distortions. The parable of the talents that was read out. A man goes away and trusts three of his servants with different bits of money and he wants them to use that while he's gone for his benefit. He comes back, two have used that. He says, well done, good and faithful servants. One's buried it and done nothing with it. It's almost as though he hasn't valued at all what he's been given. And he's condemned. He's in trouble with God. Or he's in trouble with the master, which is God. And we've been given things. But most of all, we've been given the faith and the truth about Jesus Christ. And that should be our treasure. That would be something that we should guard and protect, value greatly. And we want to see it spread. And we don't have to be out the front line doing it, but we support it and we're, we're behind the scenes and we're encouraging it, being spread through all the ministries we've got going, in the church, in the schools, in the youth, in the children, in men, women, wherever. We encourage that. We support that. And even supporting the stuff going overseas through missionaries and other places. I mean, Richmond Anglican Church has a good reputation of being a ascending church, a church that looks beyond itself to others, and it's had that for 30, 40 years and still has it today. And that's a good thing to have. Let's guard what's been entrusted to us, the gospel message, and let's make sure it gets out there and not bottle it up for ourselves, but pass it on. And I like what it says at the end. I really didn't take notice of it until I read the commentary on that. Look how it finishes. He says, grace be with you. The last four words. Grace be with you. If you go back to the beginning in verse 2, he talks about um, grace when he starts writing the letter. Grace and p mercy and peace from God our Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. He talks to Timothy about that, grace at the beginning. He talks to Timothy about grace at the end. Why is grace important? Yes, grace saves us. We know that. We know that we're not saved by our own merit, but by the grace of God. But grace is also something that works in us day in and day out. It's got not just God saving us, but God growing us and God using us, grace gifts and, and so forth. He wants us to serve him and honour him and he's empowering us to get through what's going on. Grace is those good things that God just keeps giving us as his people. And Timothy's not going to be able to do what's written in this letter in his own strength. He'll fail. We'll fail. But Paul's reminding him at the end, it's the grace of God. It's not your own strength. It's God working in and through you. That's how you'll fight the, fight the good fight of faith. That's how you'll deal with the error that's around. That's how you'll pursue goodness. That's how you'll uh, renounce covetousness and greed and be content and generous. That's how you remain faithful to the end. It's only divine grace that can do that. I know when I started ministry, I was really conscious of the grace of God calling me and working in me. And I'm conscious today of the grace of God. And I hope you are too. Because it makes such a big difference to how we respond to what's going on out there. 
Do we do it in our own strength? Or no, do we do it in the strength that God gives us? Do we rely on God? Do we rely on God's people as we move forward together? That's what grace does. So continue to experience the transforming and sustaining grace of God. As you flee false teaching, as you fight for the truth in that grace of God, holding on to faith and a good conscience.